Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast and joining me and co-host Stephen Kerr is someone who I'll defend in any Twitter war, MLB.com's Allison Footer. And, you know, I, I used to just say this like, how are you, Allison? And it's just, you know, wasn't expecting much. But these days, how are you, Allison? <laughs> I'm okay. Thank you for asking. Yeah, I'll be, uh, you know, hanging out at my house and uh, I try to move from, you know, like get on the balcony a couple hours a day, come in the living room. I have a little kitchen area. So, you know, I feel like I'm maybe moving around a little bit, but <laughs> pretty much just home every day doing what everyone else is doing. So not too exciting, but I'm healthy. So that's good. Thank oh, you. Oh yeah, that's great. Um, well, there's going to be some hard questions. We're, we're going to get into some, uh, some hard stuff in, in this one. Cause uh, boy, um, a lot is going on right now. And, and Monday, George Springer's sister said on Twitter, quote, it's great that everyone is excited for baseball, but I'm not. I'm terrified for baseball. I'm terrified for these players. I'm terrified for the health of my brother. The game can wait. Their lives cannot be replaced, unquote. And Allison, I don't see the Springer family being afraid of many things. So for them to be afraid, it's a big deal. And Ryan Zimmerman, Ian Desmond, and a couple of coaches with high risk factors have already opted out of the season. Are, are you a believer in baseball's plan to return? Um, I am. Uh, I'm a partial believer and a partial skeptic, and I think that that's the answer you would get from everyone, even the ones who are moving forward with actually putting this plan in place. And I, and I think that's a perfectly acceptable way to look at it. Um, I don't blame them for wanting to try to get a season started. I mean, uh, these um, very ugly negotiations started months ago. And I think that everybody at that time thought that we would be past the worst of it by now. You know, we were kind of trending that way. Uh, New York got it together, you know, and was able to to pretty much smash the curve. And everybody else was sort of holding steady. It was not, you weren't totally comfortable with it. But um, I think that what's happening now is like they came to an agreement and now they're ready to get started. And we're seeing these outbreaks everywhere, which is not surprising because the states opened so early. And it was very obvious after that. That it was just going to be a matter of time until things sort of went a little haywire. I don't know that we were expecting it to be this bad. So I get the plan. I, I think it's a really thorough. I think it's a thorough plan. I think they cover everything. But you have to rely on human beings, you know, 100% of them to adhere to the guidelines. And I think that's where we get into a little murky area because that's going to be it's going to be hard. And since you're, they're not actually regulating it, you know, whereas the NBA, their plan was to be in that bubble. Major League Baseball players are going to be given their freedom after games and trusted to do the right thing. And uh, I don't have that much confidence in the human spirit overall by nature. So I'm a little skeptical of that. Yeah. And I was going to ask you about that, Allison, just for that very reason is that when, when you consider the fact the general public is not absolutely totally following the guidelines, how you expect players to do that, and just the, the increased risk that that brings to not only start the season, but you know, would you even be able to finish it in, in a situation like that? Yeah, I mean, that's what we're going to find out. I mean, I think there's a lot of people that don't feel like we're going to be able to finish it. I think there's people that are pretty optimistic that can start. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, in my life, and I know I'm going to lose friendships through all of this because people that are close to me that I'm friends with colleagues, people are acting in, in really, really stupid, irresponsible ways. I mean, yeah. there's no two ways to look at it. It's like, like you just said, I mean, I'm seeing stuff, you know, I'm trying to stay off social media 
as much as I can, but I also like kind of want to keep up with what's actually happening in the country. But it's just, you're just, you're seeing people that are not doing the responsible thing. Like they're not bad people. <laughs> I would question their intelligence level to some degree, but things that seem completely innocuous um, aren't. And so, yes, it's like when I see that, I'm like, how are we going to do this? You know, because you're going to have to have, like, when I look at the Astros, you know, kind of the personality and makeup of their team, you know, you're going to need, like, Justin Verlander to be, like, 100% on board with this thing. And you're going to need Jose Altuve. And like you said, I mean, it looks like George Springer's family is pretty worried. And so I would imagine he's pretty worried. So I can see him, you know, adhering to it. But they're going to have to lay down the law to their teammates. And if there's a couple guys that are still going to be, you know, going out to dinner after a game, going to a bar, I mean, that can just send this whole thing into a tailspin. And so I don't know, I don't know how this is going to go. I think that it is a horrendously bad idea for Dusty Baker to be managing this team, that he is probably the highest risk person in our game. And um, Brent Strom. And Brent Strom, yeah. So I, yeah, I, I, question, I question a lot of, the logic that's going into this, but there is a way to do this. I mean, you know, I, I go to the grocery store, I wear a mask. I, if I am interacting with people at all, like I wear a mask and I feel very protected. I do. Maybe that's all everybody needs to do is just wear a mask all the time. But you see so many people that just really feel like they're exempt from that. And I mean, I, I was just looking last night at uh, what is this um, kind of college team that they're going to have out in Round Rock? You know, a bunch of young men that are getting together for this this league and they're starting playing about a week and there's pictures of them all gathering around and working out and there's like 20 guys that are all huddled together and I'm like really yeah. <laughs> okay yeah. um you know i just i don't get it i don't get because you won't see that by the way you will not see that at workouts for major league players they're going to be scattered they're going to be tiny groups it's going to be long days, like James Click said. It's going to be long days. This guy's going to be in and out, and they're not going to have huge interactions. So I don't know. It's it's just real scary right now. Is it comical when you see baseball saying no spitting? I mean, you're talking about a lot of history here of people that and the bad habit of spitting all the time. Yeah, I mean, and that's the funny thing is is it's such a like they don't even know they're doing it. A lot of players have said, I don't even, I don't, I don't have any recollection of me spitting. I'm just doing it the whole time. Um, it's such a natural thing. And so that's going to be an adjustment. Now, I will tell you, I was in Japan two, two off-seasons ago when the uh, Major League uh, players went on that Goodwill tour. And they go for like eight days and they play a week's worth of games against the Japanese players. And uh, a colleague sent me a picture of the Major League dugout and a picture of the Japanese dugout. And let me tell you, the Japanese dugout is pristine. It looks like it does at the beginning of the game, at the end. The Major League dugout, looks like the most disgusting disaster that you can imagine with the spit and the gum and the sunflower seeds. So it is possible, like Japanese players, they don't sit around spitting at each other. (laughs) You you can actually go three hours and just not spit at all. Like a lot of us do that 24 hours a day, like never spit. And so that's going to be an adjustment and it's good. You know, it's, I feel bad for them if they're going to get admonished for it. They're not, they don't even know they're doing it, but <laughs> that's where we are right now. Well, what's your take on the uh, no arguing, no brawling mandate? I mean, the no brawling is – that's a no-brainer, but it, it, the, it like spitting. I mean, it's it's just natural for players who are upset or, or managers or coaches to, to get up and leave the dugout 
or leave their position, but uh, MLB is taking a, a strong stance on that, aren't they? Oh, yeah. I mean, you absolutely cannot have people coming in contact. And it's funny because, you know, the Astros probably were going to have some issues in more normal times this season uh, with opponents being none too pleased with them. Look, it's not only the managers that are older. Look at the umpires. I mean, you know, they cycle them in and out, but there's a lot of guys that have 30 years in this game. And um, no, you cannot have people getting that close to each other. And, and to be honest with you, I mean, I'm trying to gauge the level of intensity. And I know that once the competition gets started, once the ju- juices get flowing, then that competitive edge kind of kicks in. But I just feel like in a 60-game season with what we've gone through as a country so far, you know, the World Series will be important, but I'm not sure it's going to be like as important. The stands are going to be empty. It, it's just going to be a different feel. And I just feel like tempers may not flare as much as you might see in a regular season and look we still have we still have replay I mean it's not like I mean there's not a whole lot to argue about and so they're just gonna they're just gonna have to go with it and I think everybody sort of understands that and it's really like July August September weather gets hot season gets long that's when sort of the nerves get shot a little bit and you see a little bit more uh, demonstrative behavior and I just don't think you're gonna have that in a 60 game season. You uh, mentioned, Stephen, uh, that no arguing thing. And, and Allison, I just, that brings me to my, my uh, major question. How incompetent does Angel Hernandez have to be before he gets fired? I mean, is, like, what, what would he have to do at this point to get fired? Like, he is, without a doubt, considered the worst umpire in Major League Baseball. It, it seems like you can't go more than, like, a month or two without him having some controversial bad call or you know, stupid fight with a player that wasn't necessary. And, and now he's eavesdropping in on conversations. I'm just wondering, you know, from a, this, that's the thing from a fan perspective and a, from a player perspective is you just look at this and go, yeah, the, the, there's a reason why we get upset at umpires because Angel Hernandez still has a job in major league baseball. Yeah. Um, you know, the funny thing is like on a little aside, which has nothing to do with what the question you just asked, but my very last day of covering baseball this year was spring training. The, when, the, when they shut everything down, so they had like, re, you know, sent out the release earlier in the day that baseball shutting down at four o'clock. I was covering the Yankees who were playing at the Nationals. And so we're now outside, like down by the bus waiting for Aaron Boone, the Yankees manager to come out and talk to us. And Angel Hernandez comes running by and goes, see you in June, fellas. And I was like, this stupid guy, June. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that kind of makes me laugh. That's what I think of when I hear Angel Hernandez. Um, you know, the play, the the umpires, sorry, have um, a union, and I don't know that everybody's aware of how strong that union is. But it's it's hard to they can't just they can't just come in and fire somebody um, as easily as you would think. <laughs> so they you know they can not put them on postseason, you know, kind of limit them a little bit. But it's very very hard to. Um, to get rid of somebody. I mean, that's the best answer I can give you. It's, it's much more complicated than people actually understand. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah. Where, where else uh, in, in the world are we hearing about problems with guys getting fired in, in unions and how difficult that is? It just, that seems to be a, <laughs> a, a, a theme <laughs> elsewhere in the world right now. Uh, but before I ask you about the Astros, I, I, I do want to ask you, do you think these disastrous owner union negotiations are leading us to another inevitable work stoppage in a couple of years? I think that there's a decent chance. Um, I think everybody was pretty disheartened by what they saw. Um, You know, can these two sides work together? Uh, There's so much that's going to be going on. That's that's what's scary to me, just what's going to happen to 
um, the free agent market. Um, you know, the money is going to be very scarce uh, for the next couple of years. You know, even when things get back to normal, it doesn't mean that people are going to be comfortable going in the ballpark um, if they haven't been vaccinated. And um, and there's a lot of people that lost their jobs. I mean, you're 45 million people, I think, at its peak. You know, so I don't know that we're going to see a lot of, like, you know, flowing income with the fan, among the fan base that they're going to be packing in 40,000 every night. Um, that's just a guess. But so I do feel like because of the financial restraints and, and what could happen to the free agent market, what could happen to guys that are approaching arbitration and all of a sudden are non-tendered, um, that it could create some resentment on the player side. And there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done anyway before all this stuff happened. And it's kind of scary to think about if they can't, if they can't come into it trying to even like each other a little bit before they start. And I think it could be a problem. And, and I think that they realize that, you know, some of the comments that have been made by the commissioner and on Tony Clark's side, I think they're kind of realizing like we have to be better uh, with each other. Um, but it's, it's going to get worse to me before it's going to get better. I don't know if there's going to be a strike. I don't, I don't think that they could possibly think that's a good idea given what's going on. And it does kind of remind me of O2 when the CBA was running out and there was a deadline and everyone thought there was going to be a strike. And, you know, the players were like, we're nine months from nine 11 and the economy's in the toilet and we're going to lose the fan base and we don't want to strike. And I kind of feel like we're going to be in a situation, you know, from an economic standpoint in this country uh, for a while, similarly. Um, and so hopefully, you know, that they'll cooler heads will prevail and they'll come up with a deal. Yeah, I guess what makes me less hopeful about that situation is just I, I don't even want to use the word their inability, their their refusal, their resistance to to just see the other side of it, especially in light of what we're going through in this country, that they were just so antagonistic toward each other through this whole process that it, I, I don't know, it just made me wonder, you know, two years is a long time, obviously. But then again, it isn't. And who knows what the landscape will be by then. But that just kind of, I, I guess, darkened my mood in regard to what the future would look like with the CBA. Yeah, it's really not two years. I mean, it's December yeah, it's 2021, but we're going to know much earlier if it's if it's going to be a go or not. I mean, we're going to be able to kind of feel it out to see, you know, what's happening. And, uh, and yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it took everybody by surprise. You couldn't find one person in the industry, not one person that was saying, you know, this is uh, – this is just kind of how, you know, it's the process this is kind of how it is. Everyone's going, what are they doing? Um, you know, and, and I think now that the dust is settled, there is a feeling on both sides of, okay, you know, it, it, it kind of had to get that ugly and we're ready to move on from it. And, uh, and everybody's doing better than you think we are, you know, from a, from a relationship standpoint. So we'll see, but it's, it was not, it was not a good precursor for what might be coming. And you just keep your fingers crossed and hope that maybe it'll be completely opposite. And everyone will go, Oh my God, look, we're, you know, look what's happening and let's get, let's all get along and let's figure this thing out. And then, you know, in five years, maybe we'll be really strong. So who knows? You hear whispers is, is Rob Manfred's job tenuous at all? I don't think so. I mean, he signed for three more years and he's, I mean, I, yeah, I, I haven't really heard any whispers on that. But, I mean, the, the only people I can kick him out are the owners. So I would say that he's – I think he's fine, you know, at this point. I don't uh, 
I, I honestly, I've been, I don't know on the union side, I think there's a lot of changes that they can make. There's a lot of improvements, but as somebody pointed out, like you don't really get to decide who, who runs the union. I mean, they decide, you know, who knows? I think this is going to be the group that is going to be working together to get that new CBA done. And I just hope that they can figure something out. From an on the field perspective, uh, we made the point in our show last week that the shortened season, potentially a big help to the Astros because of their starting pitching staff with Two starters in their late 30s, Verlander and Granke. One starter coming off Tommy John uh, with McCullers and another who's never pitched a full season with Urquidy. Is that a fair assessment, especially if they sprint to a playoff spot to have those guys, you know, at that point in the season fresh and and you don't have to worry about maybe giving those guys time off as you would in a 162-game season and and their arms might be stronger than they ever would have been in a normal situation, assuming that they, they can get in that playoff uh, spot. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I think you're absolutely right. I, I think that, you know, McCullers will be able to let it fly. I mean, he would have been on an innings limit and I think that now he'll not reach that. Um, I, I haven't done the math yet. Like how many starts each of these guys would get over 60 games, but it's not that much. So I think that that would probably be pretty commensurate to what he was thinking anyway. And uh, Urquidy is, um, I, I don't know because they overused him so much last year. I don't know what I don't know the long term effects that that has uh, when you push somebody who shouldn't be pushed that much after Tommy John. So we'll kind of see with that. But yeah, no, I think that they're they're in a really good position to win that division and to get to the postseason. I think that the A's also are in a really good position to. I think they might be maybe even a little better position because their lineup is so strong. They, I don't know that they lost anybody from last year's team. And they have all these young arms that um, are also like kind of coming off of injury or just starting out, uh, you know, these electric arms that they also can push themselves a little bit and not have to be, you know, restraining on an innings limit or anything. So it should be, it should be pretty fun. I mean, I, you know, from a baseball perspective, it could be a lot of intrigue just on the field. Is there any one of the younger guys that, like what you just talked about that you think a season like this that is so different that it, there could be an advantage to uh, to that situation and, and how they might perform this season? Yeah, you know, my I have one, like, hot take philosophy. That's not that much of a hot take. But I think that there's something to the crowds being either for you or against you that can can get into a younger player's head before he sort of gets accustomed to that, whether it's being at home and having all these people – you know, 30,000 people with these expectations that you're going to get a hit, you know, that's a lot of pressure, whether it's on the road and you feel like the hostile environment. And I think that the Justin Verlanders of the world thrive on it. And they have, you know, he's been around for so long and he feeds on it. He's been in so many postseasons and he's thrived. Um, but I think that you might find, you know, some of these younger guys, whether it's with the Astros or just around the league, um, that could end up having a big season. Um, when you're playing in silence, you know, we have to imagine what that sounds like. And it doesn't matter that it, it is a regular season game and it does count and it is trying to get, you're, you are trying to get to a postseason. It's still going to very much feel like batting practice on a rainy day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, that's just kind of how it's going. You're going to be able to hear the broadcasters. You're going to be able to hear the every you know both dugouts it's just going to be fascinating and i think that it's going to take the pressure off some of the some of the young guys and they could they could really perform is there anything that you feel like nobody's talking about that we need to be talking about as far as how this is going to be different this year whether how the 60 game season will affect people how the you know like you said the no crowds or or whatever what is there something that maybe people are, might be missing at this point 
I mean, I, nothing that really stands out. I think that, um, you know, it's not having fans in the stands, but it being on television, I, I think there's, you know, and this isn't like terribly interesting from a fan standpoint, but I'm just interested to see like how the signage inside the stadium changes. And if there's like a jockeying for positioning to get your sign into the broadcast, I think there's a lot of creative ways that teams can make money off of this. And I'm sure that they have been looking into this more than they would in the regular season. You know, I just think there's something to that. And we could see, you know, I don't know, split screens or whatever it comes to, to advertising. But I do think, I, you know, when the Orioles had to play that game several years ago in an empty ballpark, and they were just really taken back by being able to hear, you know, the radio announcers. And the games are really fast. Like the game was like two hours and 10 minutes. And I don't know why that is. Maybe no walk-up music and all the distractions that go on during a game. And it's just, just kind of baseball when you're just doing it in that environment. I think we're going to see some pretty, pretty quick games. I don't know. I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm definitely intrigued. Well, that certainly could help baseball. That's something they're trying to do anyway. But, you know, in, in regard to, to media, I was going to ask you about you know, the fact that the, there will be some changes because of that with especially the broadcast side of it. I know from AT&T Sportsnet, apparently they're not going to be traveling on the, on the road with the team. And so that affects people like Julia Morales and, you know, they're, they're still, I think, determining whether the radio side will travel. But it and, and even from a writer standpoint, like for you, so the, the whole landscape is going to be different for the entire media as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I think teams are forbidden from traveling their TV people. So they're sharing one TV truck and they'll do their own broadcast and the, and the road team will do, you know, those broadcasters will be at home in a studio somewhere. Um, and then I, it's optional for the radio broadcast. So some teams I've seen are not taking their radio broadcasters and the others are. Um, yeah. And then, you know, we just got the media guidelines yesterday and it's basically like you'll have an assigned seat, you'll have an assigned bathroom. <laughs> you are not to move. You are not to go into, you know, areas that you're, that are, are closed off, no field access. There's really no reason to be at the ballpark beyond the first couple of days when you sort of want to get the atmosphere and be able to report on that. Um, it'll be Zoom Zoom conferences with the uh, with the manager before the game. It'll be Zoom interviews post game, and and then you got to get out of there quickly. Um, the the uh, press box in Houston is going to close an hour after the game. So wow. uh, yeah, you can do it from home just as easily as you can do it on the road. So um, you know we'll see like what the writers decide to do, what some of the traveling beat writers decide to do. But I can't think of a more you know wasteful. Uh, part of, of your budget than sending people on the road to sit in a press box, not move and do Zoom interviews um, after the game. So that'll be interesting. How does the schedule going to set up? I mean, are, are, is it going to be where the Astros, they play uh, the Giants and then they're going to play the A's and then they're going to try to keep them out there playing the, the Dodgers or something like that? Are they going to try to do, is it going to be like much longer road trips, do you think, to try to, do less travel back and forth and back and forth across the country or, you know, how, how do you think that they're going to set the schedule up? I don't know. I, it's a good question because I don't think anybody knows because it's really just the West that's going to be affected by really long travel. And so all the other divisions are going to be so close together. And I mean, I think the, the New York teams are not traveling more than 200 miles ever. You know, the Mariners, their shortest trip will be 800 miles. And the Astros, if they're not playing, the Rangers are going to be traveling far distances. So I don't know. I, I'm not sure how that's going to work. If it's you know more dangerous to be on the road for a week and a half than it is to do short trips. Um, and I'm not sure there's a difference, quite frankly, because 
because there are no restrictions, because there's no bubble, guys are going to be able to to do what they want when they're not playing, you know, home and road. So who knows? And, and that's, by the way, that's why if teams are deciding not to travel like the radio broadcasters, it's to minimize the amount of people on these airplanes. Um, so they're trying to get down. A lot of teams are trying to get down to the bare bones. And that's, that's why you'll see some people excluded. How do you feel about these rule changes? Do you think any of them are going to stick? Hopefully the DH, the universal DH will stick. Yeah, you know, as, as we saw it in Houston, <laughs> everybody was so up in arms when they were changing the American League, and I hated the American League. And I mean, you know, selfishly, I just like National League Baseball better because the games are shorter. It's, it's completely pr- from a reporter professional standpoint. But now I'm like, this is really stupid. When I watch a, when I watch a pitcher hit, I'm like, why are we still doing this? I mean, it, it just makes no sense uh, from a safety standpoint, from a talent standpoint, to have these pitchers hitting. So hopefully the DH will stay. And, and, you know, the players union, I would think would be all for it because that adds another big salary to each team. And the other things I don't think are going to stick, like starting a guy on second base when uh, an extra innings. Um, I think it's a great idea to do it this year. I do not think that will stick. But yeah, I, I think that a lot of that stuff will just like come and go for one season. Yeah, the, the shortening of the games, though. I mean, I, I, I just feel like I'm sorry, baseball. I'm sorry, old white guy that is purist purist guy that's gonna you know i i've been watching for 80 years and i can't change anything but something's got to happen because you you can't i i don't think this idea of 15 and 18 inning games is i i don't i don't think kids want to see that and if you're if you're in houston texas and you're starting games most of them on the west coast nobody's staying up to one two three four o'clock in the morning for 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 inning games. And this year of all years, you don't want to see that because, you know, they're going to have pretty much all of their games, except the Rangers are going to be on the West coast. And maybe I guess the diamondbacks, but I mean, that's, that's an hour. That's still another hour. So it just feels like Allison, something has, something's got to move in this and going forward. And I don't know if it's the runner on second base or we end games and ties, but I'm for whatever we can to get rid of because to me, extra innings, it's fun when it's the playoffs, but for regular season games, it just, it, it, it seems like it, it gets really boring really fast in the extra innings. Yeah. Yeah. And they're doing this um, again to limit the amount of time that, that the teams are at the ballpark. I mean, this is all in, in an effort to not have these long days at the ballpark, which increases the danger of this virus spreading. So I'm with you. I don't think I, first of all, I can't say what it does to a bullpen. I mean, when you're talking about just the health of the pitchers and needing to shuffle guys up and down from the minor leagues and, you know, it's in, in, I'm talking in normal times. So yeah, I'm all for something else. Now I did cover the world baseball classic a couple of years ago when they, when they had that rule and it was, so funny because nobody knew what was happening and then I forget which player it was. It was a really established major league player just like threw his hands in the air because he's the guy that had to go on the second base and everyone hated it. Uh, but it was so entertaining. I mean, just from a just from a baseball fan standpoint, it was hilarious. I think that that's going to be fought against enough where it would be a while before we'll actually see that. I don't mind it so much when I'm just watching a game leisurely at home, obviously. <laughs> if you're someone who's like working in the industry or sitting at the ballpark, it's like, are we really doing this? So yeah, a change might be in order. How, how is this going to work? Is Miles Straw going to be, can he go out there at second base every single time for us in the extra innings? <laughs> You know, it's funny. I was just well, I was just reading the rules for some reason right before we talked, and I believe that it's the guy who's 
batted in the last inning. That's so what I understand. Number, yeah. Yeah. If the number five hitter is up, then it's a number four hitter that has to go out to second base. That's interesting. Even if that batter in the last inning made the final out, isn't that it, he would be the one on second base in the next inning? Do I understand that right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is that guy because if you're start, if you go into an extra inning and it's who, whomever, it would be the guy that made the last out. It'd be whoever hit before you or whoever was up to bat when the last out was made, I should say. Yeah. That's uh, what I thought was interesting yeah. is, you know, George Springer could, could strike out in the ninth inning. And then when the Astros come to bat in the 10th inning, he'd be on second base. I mean, that's, that would take some getting used right. to for me. That'd be fun, right? It Why would not? be actually. Yeah. You, you don't <laughs> get penalized for striking out for a change. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think it's, you know, that's the, that's kind of the attitude that I think everybody needs for the season is to say, let's have fun with it. It's 60 games. It's not 162. We're never going to be able to get to the point where it's as meaningful or legitimate of a season. But every game matters, right? So there's no like, oh, you know, they had a bad week. It's like, oh, my God, they had a bad week. And then you're talking, you can you can see a team like the Tigers and the Mariners just coming out of the gate like seven and two. <laughs> All of a sudden it's yeah. like on. Yeah. Um so I think that's that'll be the coolest thing. Is it's not going to be the end of the season. It's going to be urgency every single game, and I think it's going to be fun. That means somebody like Alex Bregman needs to get off to a fast start, or I mean, he gets in a slump. It it could be a long season for him, or a short season, as it were. Yeah, let's let's put it this way: the mid two thousand Astros would have would not make the postseason in this that's scenario because right. they were absolutely second half teams, and there they were, you know, game seven of the LCS, but they were largely disasters in the first half of most of those really good years. Particularly, the two thousand five team was was really yeah. down in the first part of the oh, season. Oh well, that was yeah, that was like a, I don't know, that was something I will never see again. Fifteen and thirty, but um, yeah, absolutely. But even in 04, you know, they started off like really strong. And then they went 500 for like three months straight um, and then got it together after the all-star break. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be crazy. I don't know if you guys remember the Mariners a couple of years ago when they ended up with like 97 losses on a year, but they started 11 and they're 13 and two. Yeah, no, I love <laughs> and that. They ended right. up losing almost a hundred games. Well, you start 13 and two this year. Uh, it's going to make, you know, a lot of nails being chewed on for the teams in your division. <laughs> Uh, a couple of other things that uh, happened uh, recently. Last week, Jim Crane said, quote, uh, the only thing we have to do that can counter the Astros revenue losses is get some people in the building and sell some tickets, some merchandise, some cold beer, whatever they'd like to have, unquote. And, you know, I, I know people have pointed at other owners that have said something, a, a couple of other owners, maybe variations of this statement, but Allison, did the crane and the Astros actually have a PR department? <laughs> now you're putting me, you're putting me in a spot, right? Okay. Let's put it this way. <laughs> that day, that day. Um, yeah. This is where I feel like every day I'm waking up and I take crazy pills and nobody else is taking crazy pills, but me, because I'm like, is anybody else absorbing what's happening in any reasonable way because the same day that we had that conference call the texas medical center was at 97 percent capacity in their icus and i was trying to explain to my uh one of the people that i work for who who is from new york like what the texas Med medical center is which is basically its own city yeah you, know, you can see it when you're flying over the city it's 13 gigantic hospitals like it's terrifying to think 
what's happening in Houston. And then we're like, yeah, we're, we're totally getting ready to have 20,000 people in our ballpark. So I think that once the lunacy of the idea from uh, the Rangers have been, in my opinion, even worse with their statement. I, I don't know why we're doing this, but I think that once we get past the notion that they're going to start off with fans in the stands, because they're absolutely not starting off with fans in the stands, that I'll be able to relax a little bit. I just don't get it. I get that they're losing money. I understand that, but the owners will be able to make up for this over the next decade. It's no one's going to go out of business. And for what's happening in Houston, which is comparable to what was happening in New York two and a half months ago, we have to stop talking about the 50% capacity thing. And I don't want to get political, so I'll leave the governor out of this. But what is, hap- what is being said by the Astros and Rangers right now to me is mind boggling. I'll just leave it at that. Since nobody's advertising on Facebook anymore and they they need to find someplace to advertise, I mean, I, I think you guys pointed it out, and, and, which is true. You know, you could put ads, you know, you could use the stands to put ads in the stands, but also, you know, if, you, if you're baseball, another way to add, add to revenue, and I, I feel like this is something that's inevitably going to happen because soccer's been doing this for years and nobody complains about it in soccer is just to leave an ad uh, up on the screen at all times. And, and and those are the type of things that they can do to maybe bring back some a little bit of that money that they're losing with the fans. I don't know why they don't do that anyway. I mean, I talked about that with, a couple, with some friends a couple of years ago, like when they were trying to figure out a way to shorten the game time, you know, and, and the pace of game. I would much rather, as an advertiser, rather pay to have my logo up at all times while the game is going on than have a commercial run when everyone is in the bathroom and getting a beer. When I'm watching a game at home and it becomes it comes time for a commercial, I'm flipping around the station. So wouldn't you rather, like if you're Kroger, wouldn't you rather just have your logo while George Springer's batting? And so, yeah, I think there's, there's things you can do. I think that you can do things on the scoreboard. You can sell things to fans. You can sell messages. Like if you want to put a message up on our scoreboard and then we'll show that, you know, during the game. While these games are going on, you know, in between innings, you come out of commercial, whatever. And you have messages from the fans. I'm not saying that's going to be a huge part of the revenue, but they're certainly not going to be using it for in-game. So it's just going to be sitting there. It's really gigantic. It's very pretty. (laughs) So I think there's ways that you could do that. And I'm sure, I am sure that the marketing departments all across baseball are trying to come up with stuff right now. Baseball and marketing, do those words even go together? I mean, I I, I just don't (laughs) see it a lot of times. (laughs) <laughs> I think I, I think that like the Astros have wonderful in-game entertainment. Uh, I mean, a lot of stuff is hokey, but that just comes from being cynical. Having you know, when you watch Kiss Camp for 16 seasons in a row, you're going to roll your eyes. But I, I think that they do a great job. Astros have amazing giveaways. Their bobbleheads, all the stuff that they, they're replica rings. They're creative. You know, I go to other ballparks and they have really, really good, good ideas and good presentations. So I do think that there's a lot of talent um, on these staff, and they're just going to have to get a little creative how to squeeze, you know, squeeze dollars out of the fans when they're not actually in the ballpark. But hey, these people know how to squeeze the last dollar out of the fans, so I bet they'll, I bet they'll come up with something. You know, uh, me and my partner here, Stephen, we talked about this, and I'm sure you've you've seen a lot on this. And in the age of the conspiracy, I'm not a big conspiracy guy, and especially not a big media conspiracy guy. I mean, I've been a part of the media, so I, it's hard for me to, to say that I, I'm going to believe in something like that. But Allison, I, I try not to be much of an Astros homer, but why does it appear as if nobody cares about a Rob Banford Major League Baseball cover-up 
of the New York Yankees cheating, especially <laughs> after we heard weeks and weeks of self-righteous blathering from all of these media types, specifically from a particular network that everybody is familiar with, but by everybody across the board. And, and it was all about the Astros and on and on and on and on. And the Yankees in a cover-up, and it's just like, well, nobody eh, nobody cares, whatever. What, what's next on the uh, news agenda? Do you feel, as an Astros fan, do you see the difference in, and I'm asking you specifically, do you see a difference between what the Astros did and what the understanding is about what many teams were doing with the replay monitors? Do you see any demarcation between the two, or do you see it as all the same? I see there's a slight difference, but here's what here's what happened, Allison. This is what I feel like, you know, because you heard what Mark Teixeira, I'm sure everybody saw what he had to say about it. But this is a slippery slope. And so one team takes it a little bit, one place. Another team takes it a little bit further. Another team takes it a little bit further. The Astros all of a sudden have to apologize because they were the team that took it the most further and that they were the best at it. And, you know, it's like the, it's like steroids, uh, Allison. Um, should I be, should I be, uh, any more upset because Barry Bonds took more steroids than say, uh, Jim Tomey did, or, you know, not saying Jim Tomey did, but just for example, like if a Jim Tomey did or something like that, should I be any more upset? I mean, is cheating, 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 or is it not cheating? I mean, what, you know, it's, it's kind of this like, uh, it is what it is. Cheating is cheating, Allison. And at some point you're going to get there. You're going to get there. No. So here's the difference. And this is what I can't get through to Astros fans. And I get it. And they're just going to, they, they are drawn their line in the sand and they're going to see it the way they want to see it. Cause that's how they're going to feel better about things. And I do not understand why this is so hard to understand. And I know I'm picking on you, but <laughs> the standard that has been going on for years is using the replay monitors, getting the signs. Every team has their decoders. Everybody's getting, figuring out the signs. And then they're able to alert the guy on second, and then that guy is able to tell his teammate at the plate what's coming. And it's not in real time. So, yes, the Yankees had, uh, from what I understand, like a pretty intricate system. The Astros, the, you know, the teams that are trying to win. Like, I don't think that the Tigers, I mean, they're still positioning themselves for you know, the draft. So I'm not sure that they were so into it. But that's what was kind of being utilized by most teams. The Astros took it to an unacceptable level and they just took it one step further where in real time, in real time, they were getting the signs with the trash can banging. And I don't understand why this is because you know what? It's not like it's that horrible. Like they, they, they got, you know, punished with the draft picks, the suspensions. And what Rob Manfred was saying was like, he needs for this to stop. And he went to, when he put out the memo to all teams, like, here's what's going to happen now if you continue doing this. And he took that and he punished the Astros for taking it to a level that none of the other teams did. And I have asked, believe me, I have asked people that were directly involved, either in the dugout or in the front office. I'm like, do I have this right? Do I have this right? The Astros just took it to the trash can banging level. They got, like, if there was a change of coming, they knew it every single time. And the other teams were not doing that. So th- there it is. So this Yankees thing, and it's, you know, the, the Yankees writers or the New York writers were like, it's going to be a nothing burger because it's, it's going to be like, 
some names that maybe were revealed. It's going to be maybe that they were cheating in 15 and 16. It's going to, it's going to be something around that, but it's not going to be that they were doing it to the same level as the Astros. And I don't know how more to explain it because I actually think that it's fine. The punishment fit the crime and then everyone's kind of ready to move on. And so for whatever reason, Astros fans just, they're just not quite getting that last part. Let me ask you this, Allison. What, what, what do you think of this? My, my biggest problem with what the Astros did, other than the fact that they cheated, is the arrogance that they took when the memo did come out and subsequently thereafter. It's almost as if they were saying to Major League Baseball and to everybody else, yeah, catch us if you can. And, and just the whole yeah. arrogance thing. I think that did them in about as much as what they actually did. Do you agree? And I think that other teams are probably continuing to cheat too. I don't know what the other teams are doing after that September of 2017 memo came out. Yes, that that was part of it. It was like, why are you still doing this? And a lot of players are like, it wasn't even like working that well. I mean, that's the sad thing is I think the Astros probably would have won the World Series anyway. I mean, there is the argument that they probably couldn't hear the trash can banging in the postseason because it was too loud. Who knows? But but every the people that I talked to that are like that were at fault in this whole thing. And they said, yeah, you know, we just, we just went to that place. And I've always said it was their, you know, their arrogance and like how much smarter they were than everybody. And that was kind of the overlying theme of that entire era. Um, oh my God, we're so smart. We're doing everything so much better than everybody else. And they were, they really were. And then you just kind of get so caught up in yourself. And then all of a sudden you're taking a bat against a trash can. Like, I mean, it's just, it's embarrassing. And the people that I have spoken to are like, they do, they, they're like, it's stupid and embarrassing. And they wish that they wouldn't have done it, but they did. And, you know, and that's that. It's really simple to me. And, and I hate that, you know, Alex Korn is a great guy. Carlos Beltran, great guy. AJ Hinch, you know, I mean, we don't want to villainize these people, but it happened. It happened. Yeah, I'm gonna grant. I mean, I grant you obviously that the Astros took it further than everybody else. At least, you know what we know right now. I, you, you just never know. I, 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 anything to me is possible. When other player, I've heard other players and other teams say, you know, th- they definitely weren't the only one. And but okay, just let's let's say the Astros took it further than everybody else, like everybody has said. But still, it still looks terrible, Allison, when Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball are covering up for the New York Yankees, not just any team. Look, I'm, what they're probably covering up is names that they don't want out. They prob- It's probably just people that they're trying to not have mirrored through the media. You're talking about a cover-up of something that is not really applicable. Like the Yankees definitely had their own mechanisms of cheating and sign stealing. There's no doubt. I mean, I am not saying that they're not. But you're not going to, it's not like this whole thing where they're going to uncover something, this, this, you know, thing that's been locked up in the courts where all the, oh, it's that they were, you know, doing it even more than a trash can banging. And I think Astros fans are hoping for that and looking for that. And they're just, they need some kind of comfort because they've been, you know, the fans have gotten screwed more than anybody in this entire thing. Uh, There is no doubt. And, uh, and, and I do, I feel for them, but it's just, you know, from now until the end of time, Astros fans are just going to be waiting for it to come out that the Yankees were doing it to the same level, and they just weren't. 
they were doing it to a, an unacceptable level, but they did not take it to the Astros level. That's all I can tell you. Well, I'm we're looking never, for silver linings. Yeah. Well, I'm looking for silver linings, and I guess one of them is that if, if there aren't any fans in the stands, the, the Astros, I, I guess at least for now, are going to get by with without being booed and jeered by the crowd. So <laughs> I guess we can. Yeah. Look at no, it that, that was the funniest thing. In spring training, I got to spring training right at right toward the end before the pandemic like really hit. So I had like a week there before everything shut down. And I was covering the Astros one day in place of McTaggart, who was off. And the first day I walk in the clubhouse and a prominent player sees me and he goes, are we going to play in front of empty stands this year? <laughs> I was like, you would like that, wouldn't you? And it sounded so ridiculous at the time, right? I'm like, no, that's going to be a little costly, buddy. But that was his first question. And I was like, that's, that's really funny because, yeah, the Astros, like, they got a huge break. And I don't say that, like, I shouldn't say that because what's happening is terrible. And, there's and I don't mean it lightly off. either by any by Right. Any. But from a baseball standpoint, like playing in front of an empty, empty ballpark after what happened this offseason is – is like a you know kind of a, a gift handed to them so you know life is weird and then and then honestly by the time the fans back in the stands like the astros are going to look so much different next year and there's gonna be so many guys gone from that 2017 team and so if you want to boo like miles straw and abraham toro and forrest whitley you know have at it but i, I don't think it's going to have the same kind of luster as it would have this year yeah and i said you're you're only really need to be booing four or five guys anyways because right most of the guys from that team like 90 percent the, the ones that cheated were obviously only the right re- regular players it wasn't you know your, your pitchers or whatever forget about it but you know you're you're basically that there there were four four or five guys that you're booing you're booing Guriel, bregman springer correa and do you were you should you be booing Altuve when everybody has basically said, including John Boy on Twitter, has said that he really wasn't cheating anyway? So there, it's like four guys, right? Right, right, exactly. I just think the further that we get away away from this, then the less it's going to be. And the Dodgers, I mean, they're not going to meet with them after this season. The Yankees will have moved on to something else to be mad at. So yeah, it's it's really those guys, and it's just. I, I just don't see. I thought I thought like it would derail this season. I really did. Before the pandemic hit, I said to somebody that this is not good. Like I got such a bad vibe from just being at spring training. I, like some of the swagger was just sort of gone. You know, and I think it had a lot to do with just like Dusty was there, not AJ, and you know James Click, and not Jeff Luna. I mean, it was just so it's so different to look around um, because everything had changed so much. But I thought they're gonna, they're this is gonna be bad. You know, the 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 booing at spring training was bad. And I was like, once they get into these huge ballparks, um, but I really think that by next year, it's going to largely have passed, especially just like what we've all been through. Yeah, perspective is is a good thing. One last thing, just non-baseball related, but we just learned this morning that legendary Carl Reiner uh, died at age 98. Three years ago, his grandson, Jake, who was a reporter at KPRC at the time, was a guest on our podcast. So my condolences go out to Jake, who, as some of you know, was also the son of Rob Reiner. But Allison... I, I consider you my favorite 80s aficionado, so I'm going to throw out Carl Reiner's <laughs> movie directorial credits from the 80s, which is, as you know, Steve Martin heavy, and I, I need you to give me a fave if you've got one. So uh, wow. here, here we go. Are you ready for this? Sure. Hit me. Dead Man Don't Wear Plaid, The Man with Two Brains, All of Me, and Summer School. Or you can grandfather in a couple of the 70s movies, The Jerk and Oh God. Oh, boy. Uh, I love the Oh God movies. Um, what were the last two from the 80s? The, uh, Summer School. That was I didn't know it was a Carl Reiner movie. 
All of Me with Lily Tomlin. Oh, that was good, too. Oh, I, do I have to pick one? Is that what you're making me do? Yeah, I'm not making you pick one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with Summer School because that was really funny. I like that. That was Mark Harmon, yeah. right? And Courtney Thor Smith. And, okay. And Kirstie Alley, right? Early Mark Harmon, right. That's that's correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Kirstie Alley. I think, yeah, that's right. Kirstie Alley was in there. I forgot about that. Yeah, but the Oh God movies were really good. They were really good. Well, that was a that's a better time than we are now. Everyone hates each other. We're all on Twitter yelling at each other. Um, you know, back then he just went to the movies. He saw John Denver acting. It was fun. Who's playing God right now? If you're doing a, a, an Oh God, I'm not a big fan of remakes, but I I feel like we might Allison, we might need an Oh God remake at this point <laughs> in history. Oh my God. Um, yeah, who would who would even would Carl's best friend Mel Brooks be uh, in that in, in, in a possibility here? Um, he's like super old. <laughs> he's, how about Steve Martin, Chevy Chase? Well, I'm I'm sp- talking about the George Burns role. Well, yeah, I mean, you're talking about Mel Brooks is like 93. I mean, let's you're talking about who would like come in and play play God, and if we had like three more Oh God movies. Right. So I'm thinking somebody who's like older, legendary, but upright and able to put in a 10 hour workday. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Burns wasn't a kid. No, but he was he was not. You need that wise old man, don't you? Well, you see, Martin can play a wise old man. I mean, he's he's you know, he's quite old. I'm, Robert Redford. Have you seen him lately? He's, <laughs> yeah, no, he's there. he's in his 80s. Yeah. Mid 80s, I think. Yeah. I'm like, wow, that's what happens. Like when you don't like have a lot of plastic surgery, and you just get old naturally. Like you kind of become Robert Redford. I like it. Yeah. I no. applaud him. <laughs> but I would say it has to be somebody who's naturally funny. Um, I'm going to see Martin. I think if you look his age up, I bet he's in the seventies. I think that would be, I think that would be good. And any thoughts on the, on that, Steve, Stephen, or are you, were you much a fan of those movies? Well, if you're, if you're looking about being funny, I, it would kind of discount who I was thinking, you know, Morgan Freeman has experience playing God cause he was in the Bruce almighty movies, but I, I don't know. That's he was true. the only one that came to mind. Oh, Stephen Carell could play. Oh God. Well, he that's true. God. He could. Yeah. Yeah. And then maybe Ashton Kutcher, Ashton Kutcher is the John Denver. He's pretty funny. He's got some. He's got some comedic. Ooh, okay, I hadn't Hamm thought of him. Yeah, maybe John Hamm because I'm kind of missing him. You know, Mad Men went off Netflix, and that's how I fell asleep every night. And <laughs> now I'm like having some John Hamm withdrawal. So maybe we'll get him in that. I got a story for you for for, for John Hamm that I just found out within the last week or two. So I, I graduated uh, from the University of Missouri with John Hamm, uh, didn't know John Hamm, never met John Hamm at the time, but we graduated the same year. And I was uh, messaging with a friend of mine that was going to school there at the same time. And for some unknown reason, she just tells me about this. She says, oh yeah, um, I had creative writing and human sexuality with John Hamm. She said, we got to be buddies wow. with the, during a uh, creative writing class. <laughs> Dang, that's a good John Hamm story. I, I was like, why have, wh- where was this? I, why did I know about this for all, all these years? That's, that's kind of a big deal. <laughs> he blends, he blends in well, like he's a pretty normal guy. I actually loaned him the pen at the celebrity softball game, like in 2012, but he was talking to Jenny Finch at the time. So I was like, ooh, John Hamm's borrowing my pen, but he's like hanging out with Jenny Finch, so I felt very small. <laughs> and he's a huge baseball fan. I was fan. like, I need that back. It was my only pen. Oh, he's a huge baseball fan. Yeah, he's a huge Cardinals fan. 
like a legitimate Cardinals fan, though, not just like, a, oh, I'm going to be a Cardinals fan because it will get me attention. It's good for my PR. No, he's like a diehard Cardinals fan, um, really just all St. Louis sports. But I do respect him for that. And, he, you know, he, if you saw him, like, I mean, I've had colleagues that have just kind of hung out with him because they ran into him and then he just likes to, you know, chit chat. So he seems like an OK guy. And if you live in St. Louis or you, if you were in St. Louis growing up, you, you have to be a huge, you, there's not a choice. You have to be a huge Cardinals fan. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, yeah, they have like an amazing fan base. I mean, all the years that the Astros were in their division. Um, I can't say that I loved, loved the trips to St. Louis, but I could appreciate the atmosphere because it's really good crowds every night and they just the opening day was always really special and their hall of fame uh is amazing that's what i love about the astros hall of fame when the astros started their hall of fame and they have those orange jackets it was such a perfect touch because it's so definable to the astros um and that's the cardinals with their red jackets and every opening day they have all their hall of fame all the living hall of famers out and they kind of all line up and they all have their red jackets on and it's really cool they have a great history great history great it's a great sports town i tell people that uh and 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 allison you know this like you you get a uh dinner downtown or you get you go to the bar downtown in in st louis and on your receipt at the bottom it will say go cards (laughs) huh yeah yeah that's um that's i mean in houston like I, i i felt encouraged the last few years um really the last five years because it used to be, even in Nashville's good years, you know, the last decade, but if you went to any bar downtown or really anywhere in Houston, you had to ask for the Astros game to be turned, put on the TVs. And it drove me nuts because, you know, especially if you're like a mile from Minute Maid Park on a game day and you've got 12 TVs and like not one has the Astros game. Um, but it's really improved. I mean, over the last several years, you go into most venues and the TV is definitely on the Astros game. So um, I'm encouraged by that. Cause I winning think a world a series does that to you, I guess. Right. Yeah. But even when they got to almost got to the world series and then we're in the world series and Oh four and Oh five. And, you know, and it was just like, can we get the Astros game on maybe, <laughs> you know, it, I mean, Jim Deshays used to tell me because he used to live up in the woodlands and you could go, he's like, you go to any restaurant in the woodlands and there would be never be the Astros game on. I mean, it was just, it just wasn't a thing. And, um, and now it, it is. And I think that's great because Houston does not get credit, in my opinion, of being as good of a sports town as it is and uh, supportive of the baseball team as, as these fans are. And, uh, and I, yeah, definitely the last few years of how good they have been has helped. One of the things I, I, I want to point out is because I was watching the 1980 League Championship Series with the Astros and the Phillies that they replayed on. ATT Sportsnet, which was it was fantastic. It was one of the the coolest things that they've done in the last few weeks. And and I I, I love that team. But you know, you were getting, you know, me and Stephen were talking about that. You're getting like Howard Cosell and Don Drysdale and Keith Jackson on the call, and you know, you, you have all, all of these incredible storylines. And it, and it's literally one of the best series in, in baseball history. But one of the things that I noticed was, you know, it, it isn't like it has been the last few years. The fans. Uh, had moments where they were loud, but the continuous fans on their feet, the way the Astros have been in the last few years. And I th- I think it's kind of changed in general with baseball because outside of maybe the, the twins back in the, the, the dome era of the, you know, the 87, 91 twins, the Kirby Puckets, it, it, it feels like, you know, the fans are, are much more engaged in, in the league championship series and playoffs. They're not just, 
you know, when the team is doing good or they're on, or, or for a rally or something like that, but just all the time. You're talking about back then or now? Now, now, like for sure been, now. They're more engaged now. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Those, 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 that Metrodome in 87, I mean, I remember watching that World Series, and that was really loud. I, I think that um, – I, I also think that maybe like the camera angles, because the seats were so far back in those old stadiums, and now they're right on top of the dugouts. Um, I think that just maybe like what we're seeing is maybe a little bit different now than it was, but um, yeah, I, it's when that, when those roofs, well, the Metrodome, the roof is always closed, but like Minute Maid Park, I mean, that roof is closed. It's so loud. It's so unbelievably loud. And uh, I don't know, maybe Astrodome wasn't, wasn't as loud back then. I do remember Randy Johnson's first game. Uh, after that trade in 98, that was, uh, it was so loud. It was shaking. And then the confetti that was still stuck up in the roof from the 97 division clincher came falling down onto the field. So it was confetti coming down on Randy Johnson's debut (laughs) because it was already up there. The the roof was shaking. That was pretty cool. Right. And yeah, the twins, I feel like was the exception maybe from that time, but it just, yeah, it just, in general, it seems like, uh, fans and maybe it's that like some fan bases, you know, start doing it. And then the other fan bases feel like, Oh, we've got to be just, you know, just that much. But uh, if, if I watch the games on, on, on TV and you tell me, cause I, you were at the games, but the, the world series this last year, it seemed like the Astros fans were, they were more engaged from start to finish than maybe even the nationals fans, even though the nationals fans hadn't, hadn't, been in a world series for, you know, in their history and, and, and the city hadn't been one forever. I, I felt like the Astros fans, uh, e- even with all the, you know, the, the success over the years, they, they were more loud than the, the, even the nationals fans were. Could be, you know, I mean, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that the nationals play in an open air stadium. It's just going to be quieter, but, um, but yeah, I mean that Astros fans are, are pretty engaged the entire game as long as they're in it. Um, there was one, one of the world series losses was like a blowout, right? That was like game two, I think maybe right. like that. Um, there was just a really uninspired game, but yeah, no, if it's, if it's close and they're, and they're right there. Um, yeah, they're definitely not like a disinterested kind of, you know, LA crowd. I mean, it's, uh, people are very, very into it. And that's really cool. That's what, I remember Roy Oswald saying. Um, the, the, the thing that struck him so much was when he was warming up for the World Se- one of the World Series games in 05, he looked up and everybody was already in their seats. You know, it was like 20 minutes before the game was starting and everybody was already there. He's like, normally when I warm up, the stadium is still half empty. Um, and it was just loud and you could feel that vibe and that tension and the nerves. Um, and that's, uh, you know, going back to this year, that's going to also be interesting because the players feed so much off of that. That is so much where they get their adrenaline. It's from that and the atmosphere. And it's just going to be, it's just going to be different. But yeah, who knows? Maybe by October we'll have fans in the stands. Well, I'll tell you what, Allison, I, I'm looking forward to what this is going to look like. I, I, I will be looking forward to your stories on, on all of this stuff. I'm looking forward to your piece on what Dusty Baker's going to do without a toothpick in his mouth the whole game (laughs) and and just all of it. But I really appreciate you doing this, Allison. Thanks so much for coming on the show with us. Thanks for having me. Nice talking to you. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. 
Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.